Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, Dirtbag Nation, welcome back once again to the Dirtbag Dugout Podcast, episode 22, long-awaited. Uh, definitely would like to take this time before we get started to apologize. It's been, what, about eight weeks, man? It's been a solid two months, give or take. I think the last mm-hmm. yeah. Christmas and, uh, you know, holidays and all that kind of, you know, we really weren't able to find a good time to get together. I'll take basically 99% of the blame on that one. Um, but we're here. We're here for the end of episode or end of episode, end of season three, episode 22. Uh, we're basically to recap, you know, everything that's kind of going on with obviously trade deadline or not trade deadline, uh, free agency, looking forward to spring training that should be happening, you know, in probably what, two weeks now at this point it is, to mark the date, it is the 10th. So we're looking already at pitchers and catchers in a handful of days. Spring training is right around the corner. 2024 is basically in full swing since the uh, the last episode. So uh, I don't know where you want to take this, man. Like we have Hall of Fame, obviously, we got to get through. We can kind of lean into our thoughts for 2024 since this is the end of the seat, you know, season three. Um, we talk about the draft. I mean, I don't know. There's there's a couple different ways we can go. I mean, let's let's talk about the the remaining free agents. Let's let's lead off there, right? So, as of February 10th, Bellinger still doesn't have a home. Mm-hmm. Chapman still doesn't have a home. Mm-hmm. There are several notables that are still just putting their feelers out. Uh. I'm surprised to see the long-serving people. And honestly, the Cubs have dropped the ball with Bellinger, right? Like, they should have executed that free agent deal. They should have, you know, moved heaven and earth, and they should have got that deal across the line. But they're lollygagging. And it's to the detriment of the organization. Like, we're not going to go as far without them. Yeah, that's fair. You're not, I mean, you're not expecting, oh, well, we're already going to have a 101 season. We're not really in need of anybody. Like, you you definitely don't want to take that stance. Even if you are a 101 team, say you are the Dodgers, the Astros, the Rangers, who have had 90-plus win seasons, you know, you still don't want to have that stance, even if you are that team, that, hey, we don't need this guy. If he can help you win... Even if that, like, if we look at war, like, literally the meaning of war, hey, if this dude gets us even two extra wins and it works in our, to our financial, you know, betterment, like, if we're not hung up on paying him a buttload of money, why not pull the trigger? Why not sign him for two or three years? Nobody's saying you have to sign him for seven years and lock him in as a cub. Like, hey, work, work with the dude at least. So uh, I'm in agreement with that. That's definitely something that they should have, uh, locked in well before the end of the year now another name i have a couple uh last i was looking at there was a handful i know gary sanchez was one of them but i think he he locked in a deal with the brewers i believe for a year or two um but looking at some of these other names you said Cody bellinger uh jd martinez uh jorge soler i know that he took that uh the option to enter free agency we were talking about a couple episodes ago um whit merrifield brandon belt Tim Anderson is still out out in the ether. Adam Duvall is still out in the ether. Matt Chapman, like you said. And I would say 
the biggest name out of all of these that we should take a minute to talk about is Blake Snell. Only meeting with the Yankees, declining whatever deal that they had in front of him. Apparently he wants more years, more money, which I get. Cyan winner coming off hot. You can definitely bolster any bullpen that you decide to, to sign with. But that's the fact that it's the only team. That's that's kind of wild to me too. Like were we kind of where how we were talking about Otani, where you kind of pigeonholed yourself, how we had mentioned before a couple episodes back, where you kind of are too rich for some teams who would love to court you, would love, you know, to be a suitor. And you now at this point are kind of just that the girl that's too hot for anybody, but all of a sudden you find yourself at the dance against the wall because nobody's good enough for you and you're stuck dancing by yourself. Like, is this the kind of situation he's in? I, I mean, I think so. I like that analogy because nothing else summarizes Blake Snell's situation than being the girl at prom that doesn't have a date, but that's too hot to be on the wall. Because that's exactly what it is. It's Blake Snell is going to bring too much production to your organization. You're going to have to end up paying him what he's kind of asking. But it does say a lot that one team and Mr. Moneybags, the Bankies, the Yankees, <laughs> are, are courting you. The fact that no one else has inquired about your services says a lot because it says that you're asking for well above whatever valuation people have on you even though you are coming off one of the most productive season award-winning seasons in your name's history yeah. so for Snell he has to one either humble himself and find a fit quickly before pitchers and catchers report if he wants to be impactful in the coming lineup. Yeah, you can't you can't be sitting out a whole year, especially coming off a silent a silent season. That would just be unheard of. Like that in itself is bad baseball history. Like how how. And nothing against him. I'm not trying to say like, oh, it's your fault. But at the same time, like that's just not a good look. At that point, that kind of puts you even more in a situation where say next year you're like, okay, hey, I'm willing to deal. I'm willing to take the two, three year, just, you know, to throw a number out 50 million. You know, I'm not trying to look for a mega deal. But by that point, teams now are like, hey, well, you've been out of the game for a year. You don't have the reps. Yeah, you can be training uh say for whatever reason you decide to do uh, a non-sanctioned league just to keep yourself fresh, that that still won't translate as well. You know, that's not MLB level type play. I mean, you can end up playing on Australia, Korea, whatever, just to, you know, have some kind of payroll. But at the same time, in teams, in the minds of the teams, they're going to think, hey, you've been out for a year. You're not at, at the level we need to be, especially we're expecting that Cy Young. It's kind of like a double-edged sword where we're expecting that that level of production, but now you being out for a year, that's kind of a bigger risk as, as opposed to where it's more, I don't want to say a risk financially, but it's more of a financial burden this year. So it's kind of, kind of a sticky situation he has himself in. 
you know, and when you when we talk about Blake Snell, and this is kind of out of left field, but when we talk about the sharper edge of that double-edged sword of playing in uh, a Korea or uh, an outside of the MLB league, Trevor Bauer, uh, even though uh, his return to the MLB is far-fetched, it's not impossible. Uh, I'm not sure it'll be done this winter. It might be done this spring, uh, this summer. People want to bring him on for fall ball, uh, depending on his numbers. Who knows? Mm -hmm. But when we talk about uh, that that sharpness it, it there it just doesn't it doesn't compare so yeah it you know in in the offshoot it, it reduces bauer's ability to come back but as far as snell is concerned humble yourself get some money because wherever you're going to go you're trying to set yourself up for a ring not necessarily another Cy Young. Because yeah. you just got done putting San Diego on your back. Go get a ring. Go yeah. get a little bit of history. No, that's fair. I mean, hey, kind of speaking on Bauer, did you see uh, his recent tweet? This dude is willing to take the, the league minimum, vet minimum, just to get just to get in. I even saw something where you had a, what's the name, Papelbaum talking, trying to get him in the Red Sox specifically, like, hey, pick him up. If he, you know, if he doesn't work out, I'll pay his salary. I'll pay that league minimum. If he works out, then you can pay me the value of that minimum. It's kind of like, you know, he's trying to gamble a little bit. But the first part of what I was saying, the fact that he's willing to take that minimum coming off what, well, even if you don't count this past year, what, two years removed from his Cy Young? Was it 2020 or 21 or something? Whatever year, only like so, so many years removed from that Cy Young. And now you're at the point where you're willing to take that league minimum, veteran minimum, just to be able to get back in the door. Like, I, I really don't. And the fact that we potentially could have two former Cy Young pitchers still within very well playing ability, like still within that frame, maybe not prime, maybe not, you know, closer to rookies than on their way out, but the fact that they can still deliver, they can still add value, and that they're on the outside looking in, that is wild. That is wild to me. Yeah, when you when you have that kind of that, that quality serviceability. Before we uh, com, uh, move off of free agents, we do have to address the Dodgers finding and dumping enough purse for Yamamoto to dive in and grab some. Yep. Because this is something I was not expecting. Um, it makes sense, though. Because you've got Otani, who brings a little bit of familiar culture. We're both Japanese. That's great. But Yamamoto says he's going to come to L.A. because what does L.A. do? They win. Yeah. And they win in the regular season. But his signing, even more so, and we know that Otani is not going to pitch this season. He's only going to be batting. Mm-hmm. Yamamoto's signing more than anything demonstrates that we have to if, if we don't find postseason success, every every decision was a loss. Because yeah. we should be, and you know what, I guess it's fair to, to say that 
success is demanded in the second season because the the word chemistry comes to mind in that if a it, it, it takes a clubhouse sometimes a year to get good chemistry when you've made major signings like this. So if if LA dominates the regular season and they kind of repeat this season, I get it. I you know not but I do. But that next season will be 26-27. They have to absolutely they've got to win. They have to go from opening day to the pennant and win the pennant. It's like Mookie Betts himself said, for every other team now, every game is their World Series or every series that they end up winning against them is going to be their World Series because all eyes on them. We've said this with the initial Otani signing, like it's put up or shut up time. Obviously, they they managed to extend Tyler Glass now as well, five years, uh, I believe a buck 35, I believe is 135 million. So they're not, they have not been shy about throwing money where they need to, um, believe they got Tescar Hernandez as well. So trying to add in some bats alongside their pitching. Their pitching has been always and will be their biggest Achilles heel for whatever reason. They Every single season, they magically have three or four pitchers go down. Uh, let's not forget to mention the King is back. The King returns. Clayton Kershaw signing up for one more year, one more ride. So, and I'm glad at this point that he's not the ace and it's not because I don't believe in his ability. It's because like, bro, he's been through it all. He has delivered time and time again, say what you want about the postseason, but it's not about just one pitcher. You have the rest of that bullpen, not delivering all those postseason appearances. You have their bats going cold, trying to play hero ball. I mean, I can go on for a whole other podcast on their woes, but you can see the organization itself trying to finally bolster around. It's like how we were saying before with the initial, I mean, few episodes back about whoever was going to get Otani. I know we were talking about the Cubs, you know, being in the mix. Like it's not, it's not just one thing to get the one dude you need to fill around him. You need to have these position players like, cool, you're going to have one dude knocking 40 homers, you know, on any given season, 40 plus, but then everybody else is five home runs each batting 220, you know, looking lost out there like cool there's one guy but then what about the other eight in the lineup so i'm glad that they have the star power they have i know their batting coach is pretty spectacular i know their pitching coaches in very very much particular like that's going to be my main focus here have been almost otherworldly have have seemingly revitalized certain pitchers uh some of the dudes that they sent out in some of these trades um, being better off having experienced that. So I am confident in the franchise. It's kind of bringing it back. However, it's going to be that put up or shut up. You have to put, it's all cards on the table, basically. I'm not saying treat every game like it's a game seven. It's a long season. You gotta, you gotta space it out a little evenly, but at the same time, this isn't the time. And I agree. I, I do agree. You may give a one year grace to try and get everything together to figure it out, you know, figure out who's going to be the platoon guy, figure out who's going to do what in certain situations, depending on what team, you know, this, that, the other, whatever. But in the grand scheme, it business as usual, where you get embarrassed out of the playoffs, you know, you're four years. If this makes it four years in a row, 
like you said, it's a giant, ginormous, enormous, gigantic, ginormous L for the franchise. That is the egg in the face, pie to the face, whatever, whatever phrase you want to use. Yeah. And, and unfortunately, the pressure is on for LA in ways that it hasn't been on in previous seasons. Mm-hmm. That's what's different about Otani and Yamamoto and bringing Kershaw back in. They have made they've made sure that their bullpen is going to be as complete as Houston's. And and that's a dangerous thing to do. And I'm very thankful that Kershaw re-signed just as a neutral, just because I thought it was uh, a good deal all around. And mm-hmm. I like seeing Kershaw and Dodger Blue. But uh that that's a demonstration. I I like to point out that the Dodgers are trying to be holistic in this approach, and that they do actually want to make that. You know, we're not satisfied with dominating the regular season and then just getting sucker punched in round one. No, we're you know that's yeah. a bad taste. It's going to leave a lot of a lot of fans in disarray. I knew, especially last. No, not twenty three, but twenty two. Having gone the way we did against the Padres, I really took a step back in 23 from being as invested. I know, uh, I don't know if you guys, you know, can tell through either the pod or or the YouTube videos, definitely stopped or at least tried to limit myself. Probably didn't do as well of a job as I thought I did, but trying to lean back more from talking about the Dodgers because I really was not interested because I really didn't see too many moves this year but i think also how we had mentioned in 22 i think that they were taking that step back to make a solid push and a solid offer for otani and obviously that's you know they took that year off or i mean year off but they you know they took that time to be in a better position so i get it but you're at that point now like take a quick sidebar here Uh, they had the best average attendance last year so you have the fans behind you've had the fans behind you this entire, I mean, we're talking about the last 10 years, basically, since this last, you know, this last decade of finally turning around the franchise, you know, the face of of how you're perceived as far as the, the league is concerned. Uh, it's like Dodgers, uh, let's see, average attendance, 47.3,000, Yankees at 40.8, Padres at 40.3, Cardinals 40,000, Braves 39, Phillies 38. Astros 37, Blue Jays 37, Cubs 34,000. So you're still, you guys are still up there. Or I'm sorry, 34.2, yes. And Mariners at 33. So you have that perception league-wide. You have you have the fan expectations. So not only for the league, like I said, going back to that original Mookie Betts quote, you have the expectations of the teams that are facing you. You also have the fans' expectation of what to you know what to make of this season so if they don't live up to that man that's that's going to be tough that's going to be a very bitter pill to swallow you're about to go the way of of the bills basically with those four super bowl appearances and no rings like that's basically what it's gonna you're gonna be up there in the negative part of history and i hate to equate it like that and i know we've used the four falls of buffalo in the past uh you know because a lot of people do but please do not ever, you know, and I always like to undermine when we bring this up, don't ever undermine that Buffalo got to the Super Bowl four consecutive seasons, mm-hmm. right? 
that's no fucking feat. Like, they put in unfathomable amounts of work and achievement to get to that point. So even though L.A. is kind of mimicking the four falls of Buffalo, do not let that undermine their regular season 100-plus win success. Yeah. Because the, there, there is something to show for that. You, you just wish that translates. And I think everybody wishes uh, when my organization puts 100 wins on the chalkboard, I want it to translate to more into the postseason too. Yeah, we did it consistently on the long term. Yeah, no, that's fair. I think we're very much uh, uh, rings mean everything, and I get it. That's that's what we play for. We play to win. We play the game to be the best when all is said and done. So, like, it's it's a very slippery slope when you try to argue for or against it. I mean, I can I can definitely see both sides, and obviously, it's a little more personal. So. I'm more, at least in this case, on the no, you need to win. I mean, how are you going to have 115, almost 115 wins and not feel some kind of way when you get embarrassed out? But, hey, that's the nature of the game. We've said it time and time again. We'll keep saying it as long as we have this podcast around. October baseball is just a different beast. You can have teams, clearly the Phillies, and you have teams like the Rangers and the Diamondbacks, wildcard teams just come. The Padres, obviously, the the year previous – come out of nowhere and, you know, kind of start throwing haymakers around. And, you know, yeah. that, that's the beauty of it too. Like you just never have a for sure route to the finish line. Yeah. I, I don't know what it is about pumpkin spice season, but it, <laughs> it makes a, baseball nutty. Yeah. It's just something else. Um, so, so where do you want to go? What else do you got on the plate? Let, let's, let's look at a hall of fame because Adrian Beltre got in, and mm-hmm. if this isn't the most like he did, he said he didn't even know if he belonged there. The the humility and just the the earnest dedication to the game. Uh, I've always been a fan of the way he played. I cannot believe some of the guys he got in with. The fact that uh, Todd Helton, yeah, uh, was on that list too. Like it, this was I think uh, a deserving Hall of Fame class. So I think that's something we, that we should probably look at. All right, we want to do our picks. I think I think I still have yours up. I don't know if you remember yours. I know I have mine. Well, you're gonna have to rail, rattle mine off because I forgot what I wrote oh, down. I got you. I got you for your picks. I have. Uh, oh, and we'll make sure to put this up on the Instagram. I was waiting for the uh, for the episode to drop with this, but uh, Bobby Abreu, Adrian Beltre, Todd Helton. Matt Holiday, Andrew Jones, Joe Maurer, Manny Ramirez, Chase Utley, and Billy Wagner. Uh, yep. Great, great picks. So let me see. Was this his this was not his final year, thankfully. So we'll get into that in a second. But let me mention your last your last pick, Billy Wagner, five votes short of entering the hall this year. Do you think he gets it next year? I I think the writers are going, because of who they wrote in this year, they're going to be able to write Wagner in next year. And and, and that's really kind of sometimes, unfortunately, what, what you have to evaluate as a guy on the ballot, ballot is, okay, did the guys who should have got in 
get in this year so that when my name comes back up in the cycle, am I going to get those votes where yeah. I should get them? I would hope so, because that was his ninth year this with this year. So next year, last chance. And with that, that leads me to my next point. Gary Sheffield getting the snub. What the hell? I think there are a lot of people that are confused by Sheffield getting the snub just because of his longevity, his service, and his success. He is someone who demonstrated diversity in baseball. He played the game the way it ought to be played. And I'll look, man, Sheffield, Beltray, Holiday, like Mauer, uh, Helton, these are like, fuck, man, these are core, like late 90s, mid 2000 guys that I grew up ball, like ball watching. So mm-hmm. uh, I've got nothing but mad love. And, you know, just heart, you know, like big stars in the eyes. Yeah. So when Sheffield gets omitted, it's definitely a dasher because he put up when it, you know, when the rubber needed to meet the road, he is a guy who made it happen in clutch moments. uh, When organizations needed a guy, they leaned on Sheffield, he produced and he gets a Hall of Fame snub. So let's also talk about the cultural impact too. I mean, it's not even just about if we're talking about in in the from the fan perspective not only the numbers not only the actual accolades on the field but let's talk about off the field if you're a 90s kid you can't tell me that you didn't take the freaking tube of wrapping paper or just the general bat and you do the waggle you there's no way there's no way you didn't you try to you try to do his his little shuffle there and you try to swing it like the freaking kid Ken Griffey Jr. Like you, you try to combine those two. Those were the two dudes that made it cool, that made the game cool. Like that's just what it is to this day. I don't care. Waggle. If I'm throwing, or if me and my boy are playing in the backyard and he pitches to me, I'm still giving it a wiggle. I'm 35, dude, and I'm still doing that. So you can't, you cannot tell me based off not only his actual numbers on the field, but then the cultural impact outside of the game because it has to count for something i know these writers love to try and you know do this this surgery where they try to oh well he had good numbers but he didn't have cultural impact or well yeah he was good for the game culturally but he didn't have like no this dude covered both sides of that so i think that's what hurts more especially the game and also the fans knowing this anybody who's familiar with his game or you know even if they weren't necessarily of age to truly experience it you can just Fine. Hey, look at the numbers, man. If you don't know, if you didn't grow up watching him, look at the numbers and, and tell me tell me he doesn't deserve to be in. That's a really good articulation that it hurts Cooperstown. Like his absence is a negative reflection of Cooperstown. Yeah. Because it is. Because you just reminded me of a core member that the oh, that waggled the oh shit. Tell me that's what I'm saying. Tell me you didn't. So Tell like, me you didn't. Unless you were born after two thousand, you you were you were right there. You were right there doing it. Like, no way you weren't. There was no way. And I'm glad you evaluated the way that writers like to try and uh, surgically evaluate a guy's impact on the game because Sheffield encompasses holistic impact. Not only were his stats above reproach, he was a cultural impact 
And when the two marry, you're supposed to get into Cooperstown. That's just that's just uh, the, the way that it's supposed to have been voted, as far as I've understood, as long as the way it's been voted. You know, so crucify me, motherfuckers. But like, yeah, that's... it's it's very interesting that we just see this time and time again. I mean, I know especially these last since we've been doing this podcast, I know there's been a couple of snubs, and we've had very very few times where we've been left kind of with our mouth hanging open, like really, but there definitely have been some times, you know, it's like, I don't, how do I put this? Like it just, it, it's almost baffling. Cause it's like, like we keep saying it should be a shoe in, it should be a no brainer, but then it kind of makes you question like, okay, well, what are the writers seeing? What are they trying to do? And I think it's the fact that it, I know some, some will publish, they will put their names behind the ballots so that I can respect like, okay, Hey, at least you're putting yourself to the fire. At least you're open to the scrutiny. But then for the large majority, we're hiding behind this on, you know, anonymity where you can only kind of gate guess based off either past votes or who, you know, is, you know, actively voting. But even then this uh, anonymity, like it's kind of, it's weird because it's like, you should be able to stand behind your vote. And if you kind of like subconsciously know that you're going to get crapped on for this, like maybe you're not doing the job you think you're doing. Like I'm, I'm fine. Hey, I'm fine with taking hot takes. Don't get me wrong. I'm fine with certain writers having hot takes and, and not want trying to shield themselves from that. I get that, but it's another thing to miss this bad. It, it just, it baffles me. So uh, before we take a break, I'll just throw mine. Let me see. I'll throw mine out. So I had Carlos Beltran this year. I know I said last year, I'm going to admit him for the first year because I don't want a first year because of all that. If you guys want, you can listen back to that last one. Uh, Adrian Beltran, of course. I have Adrian Gonzalez, Todd Helton, Matt Holliday, Manny Ramirez, uh, I have Alex Rodriguez, Jimmy Rollins, Gary Sheffield, Chase Utley. Now, there were plenty that I wanted. I If they're up next year, which I'm sure a lot of them will be, probably do Bobby Abreu. I'm pretty sure I did him last year. Uh, I'm pretty sure I voted for Mark Burley. Uh, I think I did Tory Hunter. I would do Andrew Jones again, Joe Maurer, probably Victor Martinez, Andy Petit. I know I did last year. Um, I would probably do James Shield. Yeah, James Shields. Uh, Billy Wagner. I just, I think I'm gonna have to leave him for next year. And I would probably do David Wright. There's, there's like 20 names on here that I would be more than happy to vote in, but obviously I can only pick 10. So that just happened to be my 10. And I kind of try to avoid the names that I picked last year. Obviously, like I said, Burley, uh, I didn't do Bobby Abreu this year, Torrey Hunter, Andrew Jones, all that. So there were a handful that uh, I skipped over because I already did them this year. But I mean, that, that kind of goes to show you to kind of lean back into what I was saying about some of these writers that only put one name on the ballot or crap like that. Like how bro, there's 20 names here. A lot of these dudes have been there multiple times. Like, how are how are you doing one name? And and for a writer to only put one name is a is a complete disrespect for the game. Uh, Cooperstown shouldn't accept a ballot with anything less than the minimum because that's really what we're looking at. Is we're looking at writers trying to flex personal choice. We're looking at less and less objective evaluation of player impact. 
and don't get me wrong, like sometimes it's hard to holistically evaluate a guy's bid to be immortalized in Cooperstown. That's fair because it's the Hall of Fame. But guys like Gary Sheffield, who are just kind of no-brainers, getting omitted, it, 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 we then we do have to leave the writers. Because, and, and thank you for bringing up the anonymity point, because that's got to go. That's yesterday bullshit. No, 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 no. Yeah. In today's age, we have to know who's voting for what and why. Yeah, because at that point, yeah, we need we need some kind of transparency. Without the, a doubt, the game deserves it. It does, because with how many guys are going to start coming up for Hall of Fame bids in the next three, five, seven years? I'm looking at 2025. If we have, I know we have a few minutes before we take our break. So let me let me mention 2025. I'll hold it up. I think I'll keep it safe because I'm sure we have a lot to talk about next year around this time. So 2025, first year eligibles. Ichiro, Suzuki, CeCe Sabathia, Curtis Granderson, Felix Hernandez, King Felix, Ian Kinsler, Dustin Pedroia, Hanley Ramirez, Troy Tulowitzki, Ben Zobris, Milky Cabrera, Adam Jones, Russell Martin. Like, yeah. bro, I would love to see who doesn't make it. I would love to see that solely because I know that there's at least guaranteed eight or nine names that I would consider. I don't have time to go through them all. I mean, I could quick, but I just for the sake of the pod, just off the rip, there's a handful of dudes that I could see easily making it. So you're going to tell me, no, we're, we're just going to, we're going to hold you off. Meanwhile, we're going to finish our little grudge match with all these other names. Like it almost seems like, uh, because what was it? Like this year, we only have three so far, right? It's Joe Maurer, Todd Helton. Uh, who's the third? I already forgot. How did I already forget? Uh, Beltray. That's right. How did I forget Beltray? Wow. Probably the most deserving of the three, but like that's what I'm saying. It's literally less than a handful. You really couldn't slide in five guys total. The year previous, what did we have? Four? Like, well, I, I don't understand what this handful of dudes every single year. I mean, I get it. There's not that many dudes in the history of the game altogether. I know we, we showed this graphic where if you take, uh, I, I can't remember what stadium it was, but if you added, you know, if you put in every single MLB player that's ever played, like ever, any position, one at bat, you know, they're an MLB player. I think the stadium would only be filled like not even eight tenths of the way or something. It was like three quarters of it would be filled. So that's not a lot in a, a game that's been around 150 plus years. So the fact that, especially if we're talking about Hall of Fame, you're only doing three or four every single year. That's crazy. That's wild to me. So, you know, throwing that out for next year, I, I would love to see how the writers finagle this one. Well, I mean, with the names on next year's ballot, the writers have one decision to get wrong, and that's Ichiro being a first rounder. I mean, he doesn't have to be unanimous, but there are fewer guys who have impacted leadoff hitting the way that Ichiro Suzuki said, this is the way it should be done. You don't have to slap hit the way I do because that was fucking insane. Mm -hmm. 
watching that dude run through the batter's box. But the production, the consistency, if Ichiro doesn't get in first round, just tear down the whole thing. Like I'm, I'll burn Cooper's down down myself. <laughs> you heard it here well, first. At FBI, I gotta. <laughs> yeah, there you go. You know, this is, I got something. This is... yeah, I'm right there with you with the gas with the tank of kerosene, bro. I'm right there with you. There, there's no way. There's no way. That that's how you would know. Like I'm gonna have. I would love even even though I'm like 99.9 to the tenth power percent confident that he's gonna get in first ballot. I would love to see the writer that doesn't vote for him, that doesn't make it unanimous. I would love to see his reasoning. I I need I need that. And this is why we need votes published. I would love to put your your crap take on scrutiny, bro. You've been a writer for 40 years. I would love to see your expertise on the platter to tell me why you think this dude does not deserve. We're talking about decades worth of plus of 300 plus ball. Like, explain it, please. Please explain it to me. Look, I I still don't think that Ichiro looks right in a Marlins uniform, but he is Mr. Mariner 100%. Oh, yeah. Uh, I don't think Seattle made the – I think they should have tried to keep Ken, Ken Griffey and Ichiro together. Like, that would have been incredible. Hmm. I already know he's going in with a Mariners cap. I mean, that's that's just what's going to happen. But you know, it is what it is. Same deal. I was kind of sad that I didn't realize, you know, that we had Adrian Beltre in a Dodgers uniform for so long because he he had been a kind of a journeyman for a minute before you know, obviously finding his home in in a Rangers uniform. So it's kind of sad. I mean, obviously it's kind of reminiscent too of uh, Pedro Martinez too, giving him up what could have been with having that dude on the mound. So yeah, plenty, plenty of decisions, you know, that are very questionable by certain teams. But uh, I think right now the focus is, is on these writers and whatever, whatever they're going to end up doing. So I guess uh, we can take a quick break. We can come back, I guess, with the draft, uh, any other things for 2024 that come up. And uh, I guess we'll go from there. All right. All right, so let's take a quick break. We'll be right back. All right, so we are back. Appreciate you guys for sticking through. Um, so I guess now that we've got our Hall of Fame kind of wrapped up, I know we were kind of leaning back and forth between free agency and kind of what to expect for 2024. Uh, are there any... I guess notable acquisitions that that you've kind of taken note of, or you're just kind of taking it all in. No, I mean just the guys that are still left on the market. I haven't, you know, the deals that have been done have been done. It's it's the guys who are left that are gonna. Those are the X factors for the organizations left, especially when you have the names that you know we talked about being still there. So. Yeah, that 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 does kind of make make you scratch your head a little bit because there's some quality names. It's not just I'm not no shade to anybody else, but you have some 
some random B-listers, you know, that still, don't get me wrong, very serviceable. Obviously, they're in the league for a reason. Obviously, they're getting paid for a reason. But when you have an Adam Duvall, a Blake Snell, a Cody Bellinger, like what – I'm sure somebody can use J.D. Martinez at DH. Like what – I don't – I don't quite get it. Um, well, then let's lean. I guess this can go two ways. Let's, you know what? Let's, let's talk about the draft then. Let's lean into this year's draft. The Guardians with the first overall pick, man. How the hell? Let me, let me take a step back too before. I'm sorry. But. They had a 2% chance. They were ninth overall in their odds. So I'm going to read this down for everybody at home. The A's, Royals, and Rockies were each tied at first eight, at 18.3%. White Sox were 14.7%. Cardinals were 8.3%. Ames were 6.1%. Mets were 4.3%. Pirates were 3.0%. 3% flat. And Guardians, 2% flat. Tigers were one six. Uh, Red Sox won two, Giants were a percent, Reds were 0.9, Padres 0.7, Yankees 0.6, Cubs 0.4, Mariners 0.2. So it kind of gives you like the disparity. The fact that you're ninth overall and you get the number one overall pick. Oh, uh, like I was thinking about this the other day because I knew that this eventually would come up. But how, I mean is this a sign of the lottery system being a little more broken? Like I know we had talked about this before where it's nice because it is an anti-tanking measurement, but when you have something like this come up where clearly the A's Royals or Rockies could have done what even the White Sox, any of those top five teams could have done very well for themselves having the top pick. And now they're on the outside looking in like what? I mean, it's it's a reflection of the lottery being exactly what it is, a uh, loteria. So for Cleveland to win the lottery is it's it is what it is. They are a team that needs the help of a first round draft pick, but they aren't. You know the A's, the Rockies, you know the teams we just mentioned because yeah. those are teams who actually need the leverage of a first-round draft pick. Cleveland doesn't need that. Cleveland was kind of, you know, they were the shiniest golden turd in their division, and no one wanted to be it, but someone had to be it. So, so thank you, Cleveland, for stepping up. But for them to it, – it's an unfortunate – the lottery is exactly what the lottery was. It was a lottery. And it, I, I'm glad that we're starting to discourage teams from tanking, but it kind of makes me wonder: Do maybe the only bottom five teams enter the lottery? Do do we kind of quantify this so that we do have balanced metrics mm -hmm. as an in-check league who wants competitive baseball across the board? Yeah, there has to be a, a middle ground. Like, let me read out this. The draft order when it's all said and done they're still top five they're still up there don't get me wrong it's guardians reds are second rockies are third and then it goes athletics uh white Sox, royals cardinals angels pirates uh nationals are have another top 10 so you guys are 10th overall 
Uh, we have Tigers, Red Sox, Giants, Cubs, Mariners. So that's top 15. Uh, Mar yeah, Marlins, Brewers, Rays, Mets, Blue Jays, top 20. Twins, Orioles, Dodgers at 23. Braves are 24, Padres 25, Yankees 26, Phillies 27th, uh, Astros 28th, D-backs 29th, and obviously Rangers at 30. Um, so, I mean, still with those teams, even though they were tied, they you know, those top four tied teams, I mean, you're still in the top five. It's just, again, that could make the world of difference between first, you know, having a 1-1 pick or having a 1-3 pick. Um Especially if, you know, you're looking at your scouting department, you're looking at, you know, just the front office in general, all the plans, you know, cue the money ball scene where they have all these names of all of a sudden papers are flying everywhere. They're trying to like scratch these names off. I got to put this arrow up here because this dude's now our top priority because I'm pretty sure this dude's gone and this, that, you know, it, it's, I mean, I, I, we'd like to say that some of these franchises are organized and that these dudes have head on their, you know, had their heads on their shoulders and that they do have poise, but we're all human at the same time. Like, I'm sure there was a little bit of panic, even if it wasn't that exaggerated scene I just made. There's still a little bit of panic, uh, knowing that you kind of have to adjust your your game plan. Um, and especially depending if, again, if you're one one or all of a sudden you're one six, that's a lot, that's a lot on the table. Um, so I don't know. I, I do agree, though. It's going to have to be something where it's the middle where, yeah, maybe it is those those bottom five where, fine, they do get the lottery. So I think at least this particular draft, it, it still did kind of, kind of get it correct. Those bottom five teams are still in the top five, but I think it should strictly – well, I think Cleveland obviously kind of upset that, but every other team is where they should be. It's just a number a number nine overall should not – even sniff the top three maybe top five maybe they just sneak in because a fluke but yeah. they, they should not be anywhere near a top three pick no and, and i'm fine with swapping cleveland and you know kansas city you know making cincy the uh the number one or you know colorado or oakland uh yeah. including cleveland that six or seven pick but yeah. they, they've got to be outside of that top five but and this is uh, this year's draft is is nothing more of a reflection of the the lottery failing to serve the team in most dire straits. Yeah, yeah. I mean, say what you want about the A's too and all that. Like I'm sure that a lot of these, you know, those in in the front office suites were kind of hoping for better positioning and to see another team that wasn't quite as down as you were. I mean, that, that kind of doesn't help your legacy either. I mean, you're still top five, don't get me wrong, but you kind of were already expecting to be a top three. So even that extra position down could mean is exactly how I was saying, could mean the world of difference between how you approach that. And I know what we've said, so I'm going to kind of lean into the A's again, because I know we've talked about them plenty of times as far as just their positioning for the next few years, how they're going to be, just kind of kind of floating around. I mean, you already know next year is not going to be a good year for them. Uh, let's not forget to mention, I believe they have no giveaways scheduled if I'm reading if I read my notes correct. Uh, no giveaways scheduled for next year or for this year, I should say. 
Um, so that's already not a good look. If you look at, I believe it, I don't know if, oh, what was it? What post was it? If you look on their, on their Instagram page, there's a particular post where they have their comments turned off. So I've heard of that. I've seen it myself where they have a, a post with comments turned off where you know that they were going to get fried. Apparently on their X channel, on Facebook, I've heard even their LinkedIn comments are completely closed off. Like, but yet I'm supposed to believe John Fisher where he's like, oh, the, the A's are, you know, our fans are excited for the move to Vegas. And oh, it, it gives very much Wizard of Odd vibes. Like pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. Like we're really trying to put on this front, like, I mean, I have no dog in the fight, like, but I also feel as a general baseball fan, like, bro, who are you trying to fool? Uh, you know, all politics aside, but it's like these politicians kind of gaslighting, like, there's nothing wrong here. Milk is $12 a gallon, but everything's totally fine. Like, no, bro, it's not fine. Like, anybody with common sense can see that this franchise needs help, man. You guys are not in a good position. The fact that, again, we've said before, you're not going to be in a stadium for three years or for the two years after you leave Oakland. You Clearly, you don't care about this last year, or I don't know if it's 25 they're leaving, but you clearly don't care because you're not even going to give any giveaways to fans who do show up. Uh, you're already kind of gaslighting the situation surrounding your departure. You're not going to, you're going to turn off all comments until then. And uh, I also found uh, some interesting news. This is on the Dugout Report Instagram page. A's donated to dozens of politicians who voted for Vegas ballpark funding. So any kind of news, you know, if you haven't heard, go look that up. Go look into it. But that is another black eye. Like, we just keep falling into traps. Uh, I don't know if you've watched The Simpsons. Uh, or anybody out there, if they're familiar with like Sideshow Bob, and it's like a running gag where he keeps getting hit with the the rake, he keeps stepping on it. It's like there's that one episode where he's like literally in a parking lot, and there's a bunch of like rakes everywhere, and every time he steps, he gets smacked, and he steps to the left, he gets smacked, he steps to the right. It, but that's exactly what this last year has been for them. Every step has been a misstep. Every step has been a smack in the face, another black eye, another just miscue whatever you want to call it it's not good it just is not does baseball as does the mlb as a whole have a greater responsibility to the league to prevent dumpster fires like oakland and kansas city i would think so especially if you're the commissioner himself that's basically i mean he said it himself my my job is to grow the game to increase fan engagement to increase you know, whatever it is that helps grow the game. So when you have, especially with the A's in particular, a long-standing, at this rate, basically a history of, of like I said, just getting smacked in the face with the rake, especially concerning this move. We've said this over two years. This could have been a super seamless, yeah, it still would have hurt. Don't get me wrong. It still would have sucked. It still would have left some people salty. But this could have been such a smoother transition. The fact that we're still going through it. There's still stuff being uncovered that makes this um, just a black eye. I mean, there's really no other way to put it. The fact we well, keep... I mean, when, when you're putting money in the, the pockets of politicians just to secure their vote, that doesn't do anyone any good. 
because you want to move your organization. So, so just because, you know, and, and this is why we feel for A's fans, because there are very few fan bases who are being mistreated so reprehend, you know, who are being treated so reprehensibly, not mistreated, who are being treated so reprehensibly, because it, it is a damn shame what the organization as a whole and what MLB is letting happen because the move never should have gone through. They should just stay in Oakland and they should find a way to improve. Yeah. Because you shouldn't be trying to relocate just to turn things around. That's not how this works. No. We're not trying to incorporate three, four other teams because you guys moved to Vegas because we're, you know, expansion minded. No, no, no. Let's worry about putting butts in seats, uh, Las Vegas Athletics. LVA, you know, whatever. I don't give a fuck what your moniker is going to be. And, and, and don't make it gimmicky like the Knights. And and don't get me wrong, the Golden Knights, they get away with uh, being able to be a little gimmicky because the NHL is in an arena. Okay? And that just lends to the pageantry of Vegas wanting to put on a little preemie show before the game. Yeah. All right? You cannot get away with that in an MLB environment. No. And I I don't I'm really worried that the ownership group didn't understand that. And the, the MLB doesn't understand that the fans are not gonna entertain gimmicky shit because if you don't have any giveaways, anything like any fan engagement things, any prop shit for me to come get if you don't have bobbleheads for me to come get or like some something for me to come fucking get my money is worth of the ticket it is hard for a fan to want to pay the money and then get the beer and get the hot dog yeah no that's fair that's fair you have to you have to have some kind of pr even in the midst of this you you can like even if you save say you have a foot foot long each inches is crap if you could even save just an inch of that from that that crap sandwich you have to eat why not? Why not do that? Like, you know what? No, I'm gonna add some extra on top of on top of the bun so it's double layer. Like what what are we doing here? It 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 baffles me. It really does. Like so another another quick note with that. And this is comparing obviously we were talking about LA and the uh Yamamoto and Otani deal. So just gonna, for some reason CBS Sports decided to compare the two franchises, right? Total spent or spent more, basically the caption is they spent more on two players than the A's have spent since 2013. So obviously with those two, uh, $1.025 billion. And the A's total offense or off-season spending by the A's, so total off-season spending since 2013, $722 million. We're talking over 10 years, man. Over technically 11 years. 700 million compared i mean obviously franchises are different that kind of shows you the difference in what ownership is willing to pay but you're telling me you're spending even if you stretch it out over 11 years we're basically spending 660 million give or take like where that. did todd bully and the dodgers find all this money but uh, seriously the fact that Oakland has spent so little investing 
in player development for a team who was made famous by Moneyball. Mm-hmm. Like, pioneering analytics, getting getting the motherfucking analytically best guy in position was your metric, and it worked. Mm-hmm. But what happened then? And don't get me wrong, no other team sold players at the rate that the A's did for profit. In in the black as a business. That's very important because at the end of the day, and and this 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 hurts the soul of my fandom, baseball is a business. It's not about the love of the game, it's about the profit. Mm-hmm. And and I hate that. Because that it, it, it ultimately is true, and o- Oakland is a slave to that devotion of I want money over fan engagement, player development, product on field. And when I don't have two of the three, when when when, when everything's missing, I move to Las Vegas. Yeah. And we're still we're still dealing with those issues too. With uh, I believe it's the mayor or something is trying to raise some lawsuit about having it not be uh, funded by the public. So it's like there there is no good story surrounding this. Like all of this has just become an entire dumpster fire within the dumpster fire. It's it's almost never ending. I mean, I know we've said multiple times. I was like, we we feel for you, A's fans. We just want resolution, just so we can focus on the game even knowing that there's not going to be really a product on the field yeah we just want the cleansing of hands and hopefully you know to to quote jeff goldman life uh finds a way like eventually nature will heal and we can get back to the a's playing quality ball instead of the circus that we've been seeing for the last handful of years i mean like to compare i i'm not sure if we talked about it personally but you have even the mets with their detrimental year you have Steve Cohen, this is a tale of two ownerships, willing to go over the luxury tax. They're about to pay $101 million in luxury tax. Meanwhile, you can't even spend that on your entire freaking franchise. Like, what was the number? It was some, like, ridiculously low numbers, like 46 or something that they did. I can't remember what we did, what we what number we said the other a couple of podcasts ago, but it's such an astronomically no, low number that you have other ownership willing to pay that in tax alone. <laughs> even if they don't, even if it's the same detrimental season, you have dudes willing to shell out buttloads of money just to at least try. Meanwhile, you you were here trying to nickel and dime. And you could take a page out of, say, the Rays playbook where they get a lot of quality guys for cheap. They're not crazy in the red they somehow managed to stay in the black yeah something can be said for their fan base but that's more the location that's kind of not really up i mean it is up to the ownership but like the location of the location but there's still something to be said about what they're trying to do they're trying to do the best of both on cheap stay in the black get quality players still be competitive so what are you doing you're doing none of those things you're doing the complete opposite like you said, trying to just think that magically Vegas is going to fix your problems, and it's not. It's going to be a very, it's going to be a very rough ride these next few years. I'm not even an A's fan, and I'm I'm not looking forward to it. So I can imagine 
the Oakland faithful who are going to have to go through this. So hats off to you. You know, salute. Uh, peace. Okay, so real quick then, let's talk, let's talk about. Uh, I know we were talking about some of these other teams. Let's talk about Kansas City too. While we're kind of on the, kind of in the same arena, signing an extension to Bobby Witt Jr. Eleven years. Let me look at this number: two hundred eighty-eight million. You even have the Royals at the bottom of the barrel, but still willing to pay dudes. Still trying to have some kind of semblance of a foundation. Trying to invest in the youth. Trying to build something. I mean, they obviously need to do more, you know, to build around them, but it at least shows you from that perspective, hey, we got a quality dude, let's pay him. Let's get, let's keep him. You know, he's obviously in a long line of other players that other teams are trying to build around. But, like, what did, what happened to your Ramon Laureano? What happened to your, you know, all these other dudes that we've seen in, in an A's uniform? I'm glad you bring that up about Kansas City being willing to pay their players because they understand the value. Kansas City is a team who has been there within the last decade. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I, I don't want to say that they got there off of a fluke, but they got there on hard work. They got there on uh, consistency. And they know that in order to develop consistency, you have to give guys a little bit of money. To, you know, you have to incentivize them with some money to win. And however you structure the deals, if it's game-to-game win bonuses, win streak, I don't give a shit how you do it. Kansas City knows how to put that player incentivization package together to get cohesion to get an organization behind an idea. They've done it recently. So the I I you know whether you get a new manager in or uh what have you, but the bottom line is that they're outspending their competitors because they value what they have. Mm-hmm. They want what they have to take them to the next level. They're not like the athletics who are trying to play this like an analytical business. Yeah. Let's not forget to mention they're also putting that investment back in the surrounding area. Obviously, they're one of those teams we were talking about with the baseball villages. What are the A's doing? I would have loved for them to be on that same list with that waterfront. That From those renderings, it looked amazing. We were all about it. Don't get me wrong. As much crap as we're talking about the ownership, we were all about having this waterfront little district you know slice of the city be a reality i mean it was gonna it was going to from what we saw it was going to incorporate well with the layout obviously that was the big thing was making sure it flowed with the city and wasn't just a giant you know obstacle on top of honoring the waterfront itself just the history of obviously maritime you know commerce and all that allowing people you know obviously a newer design so taking in the fact you want to, you know, have something visually appealing to look at, ease of access, you know, obviously the parks and all these other things to allow other business outside of baseball to take place. You know, I was all about it. So you see these other teams obviously doing that same thing. That's that's basically the new benchmark. So to go from that, where you're right alongside those other teams doing doing the right thing, 
outside of just the game itself to now just, you know what, now nah, it's just a money grab. We're going to try to get you to pay for it. We're going to make sure that the product only brings us in the black. We really don't care about the actual success that we garner as far as the game is concerned. And you're just going to have to deal with it. Like that's, that's crazy. That's not, I get again. Yeah, I agree. It is a business, but that's not the way to run a team. And it's definitely not a way to, like that's you already know you're not going to be successful for a while. Like you're that there's no way, especially analytics, especially Moneyball. You already know you've already had your little spreadsheet where you see the 10 year mark from now, the 15, whatever. You already know what you're currently doing, and you have the graph to show you how bad it's going to be. And you still went through it. Like you can't tell me otherwise. But they don't care because they're getting the biggest bang for their buck on the cheapest guys possible. And and that's what sucks is that even though Oakland puts 3,000 asses in seats, league minimum, like, Christ, you shouldn't even play a game in front of 3,000 people. <laughs> like, that sounds like some Texas high school, like, don't get me wrong, like, with Texas football, they go all out. They have, they have some high school stadiums that look like college stadiums, like, straight up. Don't get me wrong, but, like, when that's the same number of people you got coming – to a major league and Oakland's a major city. It's not as big as San Francisco, but I mean, it's just on the other side of the Bay. It's a major city still. Like if you're from California, if you're anywhere familiar, you know where Oakland is. Like, it's not like it's just some, Oh, let's go to Des Moines, Iowa or whatever the heck, like the only major city in an entire state. Like it's one of the top 10 most populous cities. So you can't, I I just, it, it baffles me. That's all I can really keep saying about this. Like it just, yeah, you know, it's purposeful. So one last point for talking about these new stadiums, uh, the White Sox are another team now that are on the, uh, I don't want to say it's a potential right now. So let me read this caption. I know I've shared them before. IG Paul, uh, IG ballparks on Instagram. So renderings have surfaced for potential new Chicago White Sox ballpark on the South Loop parcel just south of downtown Chicago known as B78. So at 62 acres stretching south to 16th Street, the 78 is one of Chicago's largest undeveloped parcels and the most strategically located, but it has eluded development for decades. Over the last week, rumors of the White Sox potentially building a ballpark at the 78 were being discussed by local news sources, but the renderings that seem to confirm the team is focused on the site This past summer, Sox owner Jerry Reinsdorf said the team was exploring the possibility of building a new ballpark by the time their current lease ends in 2029. So obviously, we may have to wait. I mean, I'm going to finish this in a minute, but it seems like, you know, the developments will probably be more in like the next year or two because it'll probably take them a handful of years to get it developed and ready to go. But, you know, something potential in the horizon. So uh, White Sox have obviously called the same Southside Chicago neighborhood home for their entire 121-year history and have called the guaranteed guaranteed rate field their home since 1991. So obviously a little, I don't want to say overdue, but wouldn't be out of the realm of, of um, possibility considering that it has been that long. Um, so just another team, even though they're on the down and out, they're still at least exploring you know, how to still keep staying in the same area, how to still keep investing in the same area, still trying to keep that same identity. It is, uh, it's unfortunate. 
I would rather have an ex an expansion team. Honestly, I know we've talked about this before. I'd rather have the expansion team than you trying to move and trying to make some something happen. Because I don't, I really don't think it will. Not for a while. So, with with Chicago needing a relocation, with needing a facelift, it it makes sense. Uh, I don't want to see him leave the South Side because it gives great inner city rivalry. It's a great interdivisional break for Cubs Sox fans. Mm -hmm. uh, it's a you know windy city matchups are fun. They don't happen often, so mm -hmm. they're always looked forward to. But you're you're right. I can't think of a team who would kind of be more primed for a relocation event effort um, than the White Sox because they've been in one spot a very long time. They aren't like the Cubs who have just recently added a ballpark village and done shitloads of multi-million dollar renovations to Wrigley. Like, the Cubs aren't leaving Wrigley anytime soon. Just like Boston's not leaving Fenway anytime soon. Mm -hmm. So... It, it's like the way that the Cardinals aren't leaving Bush anytime. They're just there are several clubs who have become long termly associated with their ballparks, and there's not a downfall to that. It's just the White Sox maybe didn't have the success that they were dreaming of at that park, and so uh, maybe a relocation, maybe just moving down. Uh, in the city isn't such a bad idea. Mm -hmm. You know, give yourself new ground to break on. You bring yourself uh, a new organization. Give the fans uh, new world-class Chicago accommodations and see if that is kind of the idea uh, before we bring in like a Nashville or um, a Reno or um, I'm trying to think of other names that have been, you know, thrown around in the like a North Carolina, probably like a, a Riley or something. Raleigh. Uh, and well, you know, okay. So when we say expansion, I guess it's time that uh, Montreal gets, you know, the Expos back. That would be um, first, but to be honest, if, if we're talking, they need they need their ball back, and then we could talk about new places. They they do, and that's fair. Like if before we address expansion, let's get a ball club back in Montreal, the way the Expos were, because the Expos, the Blue Jays, like it's great having two Canadian teams in the MLB. It just it is. It's fun. It's wonderful. Uh, it's great for international play. So let's let's let that be the ideal focus of the league to bring Montreal baseball back before we establish a Raleigh, a Nashville, uh, you know, a Reno, uh, a whomever. Mm -hmm. No, that's fair. That's that's exactly how I would play it. Heck, even throw, throw a Vancouver if we're talking. I'd rather have an expansion more in Canada before, I mean, you could probably still do Midwest. I know we had talked about OKC and stuff, but if we're if we're going in order, I would much rather have have uh, Canada get looked at once or twice before before we start talking about Midwest or down south or whatever. 
So um, I guess wrapping up, since we have a few more minutes, let me see what the last couple pieces of stuff I have. So since we are officially in 2024, you know, both on, on the calendar and seeing as how I said pitchers and catchers is days away, there's some more rule changes that I think we we can go over. And uh, anything else you have on the docket, feel free. But um, pitch clock getting cut again. Pitch clock reduced from 20 to 18 seconds. Mound visits reduced from five to four a game. Runner's lane. The runner's lane will be widened to include the dirt between the foul line and infield grass. So, eh, okay, that I, eh, I get it. Especially you have some of those runners, you know, that like to take that wider turn, fine, whatever. Pitcher warming up, though. A pitcher who's sent out to warm up for an inning must face at least one batter. So none of this, obviously, two pitches, pull him out. That, eh, I can kind of get behind. I get it. See him through, whatever. Um, but pitch clock and mound visit, like, how much morning, right? How much time do you think you're really going to save here? What, an extra two minutes a game? Like, what are we... Hey, look, I'm really glad that pitchers came out last season and said that even at 20 seconds, I don't have enough time to go through the full of my rhythm. Mm-hmm. And look, we saw a lot of injuries across the league to pitchers because they just couldn't give, you know, that extra seven seconds to get into a rhythm. So that's that's I I I get that we want to cry that seven seconds in that bat uh, adds up over the course of. Uh, 27 at bats and i'm sure it does but for fuck's sake when we have injuries i i think last season season was one of the most injurious uh prone that we've seen in uh, as many as i can recall that's what it felt like yeah i i think it's directly attributed to the pitch clock yeah trying to rush and and honestly if we're talking what what was the average we came up was like 27 minutes like you're saving half an inning of a game Maybe in some instances, if you really want to stretch it, maybe an inning's worth. If you have a really quick game that's just, you know, the batter or the pitcher's just one, two, three, you're out kind of deal. But what it, it, if that's the cost of, and I would love to see the data. If, if I come across anything, because I try to keep us, at least Instagram-wise, I try to keep us plugged into a couple of different pages that might have that kind of information. If there's something where that does come across or that I do come across, I would love to see it. I would love to save it and and delve into this more because it does feel like there is some data, there's some hard evidence that that would back up that claim because it, maybe it is perception. Like you said, it just, it just feels though like it. Everybody's been going down, especially earlier in the season. I know we also had that the whole CBA deal last year, or you know, twenty two, kind of messing up. I mean, it was only really a day difference instead of starting april 1 obviously this year is starting again march 30 but i felt like that also played into it too not not too many dudes getting their reps this year you know you lead that into a decreased warm-up time or just just a whole different way of of pitchers using their mechanics and you got to think these dudes are used to a very particular if you're talking about just the micro movements leading into the bigger like you know just this whole chain reaction you throw one thing off you've heard these pitchers say it too like something just i just don't feel right you know even you're talking about like way back we're talking about the 
the Goldilocks balls and stuff. Like they can tell the difference. They can tell you based off weight, based off feel, based off feel of their bodies. These dudes are trained and have trainers to, you know, these dudes know. They'll know the difference. And when your muscle memory has that kind of recognition, that demonstrates an unparalleled level of fine-tuning. And that's something that we should respect and listen to as, you know, as baseball. Mm-hmm. For them to say that, hey, give me those seven seconds so I don't hurt myself in my routine and rhythm. We should be like, oh, okay, well, that's like a no big deal. But for the Players Association to just kneel over and just roll over with the league and be like, all right, pitch yeah. block productions, like. This, no. Yeah, disappointed. Very disappointing. Well, I got nothing else, man. If you got nothing else. Yeah, nothing else on my end. All right, very well. As always, people, appreciate you guys rolling with this this uh, third season. Looking forward to season four. Uh, we'll probably have something up, if not opening day, definitely opening week. You know, definitely want to express thanks and gratitude to you, Nate, for being here for the long ride, man. Looking forward to what season four brings us. Um, to you guys listening or watching, again, want to express the gratitude and love. Uh, looking forward to what season four brings us, man. It's going to be a lot of stuff, even though we do have some kind of ifs and you know qualms about certain things overall i think season four is going to be pretty great so appreciate you guys as always and until then stay tuned dirtbags